welcome back to the KitCast podcast episode number, I think this is five. I'm your host, Neil Simons. Joining me is first timer on the pod, Giacomo Bruno from kit3cc.com.au, Melbourne boy, right at lockdown. Everything's going well, isn't it? Oh, mate, I'm loving the first day of freedom. Can't wait to get back out and about. Fantastic. And, uh, well, second timer, Patrick Bruschetto from New South Wales. You've been out of lockdown for about a week and a half. Obviously, you've got some football this weekend as well. So everything's swinging back into action, isn't it? It is a very exciting time for, well, everyone, I guess, like I said, out of lockdown. Football's coming back. It's fantastic. We love it, don't we? We do love it, most definitely. And of course, uh, that match we're speaking of is the Matildas taking on Brazil uh, tomorrow in the first of a two-game series. Bankwest Stadium, there, there will be a net around the ground to stop the balls going into the crowd, which is another discussion in itself. It will be Channel 10's first broadcast within Australia for a domestic football match. Um, and they'll be handling, handling all the production and things like that, which is fantastic, I think at least. So just going through the squad that was named last week, we've got um, Mackenzie Arnold, Angie Beard, Ellie Carpenter, Steph Catley, Emma Checker, Kyrie Cooney-Cross, Caitlin Ford, Mary Fowler, Charlotte Grant, Briley Henry, who you can actually read one of our features on Briley in key360.com.au. Uh, Alana Kennedy, Sam Kerr, Tegan Micah, Courtney Nevin, Claire Polkinghorn, Jamila Rankin, Carly Rosebacken, Remy Seamson, Kaya Simon, Emily Van Egbond, Claire Wheeler, Lydia Williams, Tamika Yallop. That's the squad. And uh, it's a massive game against Brazil. Two-match series. Obviously, a lot of uh, speculation heading into this series uh, for obvious reasons, which we, we will address in um, a couple minutes. But, uh, Pat, you will be attending one of these fixtures. Uh, how do you see the, this fixture playing out? And, and what can we expect from this squad? And also, Tony Gustafsson's under a little bit of pressure, isn't he? He's didn't have the greatest Olympic campaign in terms of results, but obviously the standings were that we finished fourth. Uh, how how does he change it up? Brazil's a very strong side. Yeah, well, look, it's the first home game for the Matildas in nearly 600 days, and it's pretty much a full-strength squad. I mean, obviously, they had a fixture against Ireland, I think, in September, and they lost 3-2, but they were missing players like Carpenter, Van Egman, and Kaya Simon. They all missed that Ireland game. They are back for these two big fixtures against Brazil, and well, I think they're really going to go all guns blazing, aren't they? Like, you know, the first game, first home game, big games against Brazil. And like I said, yeah, you did mention Gustafsson did get some criticism in some quarters in the Olympics, even though it sounds a bit ironic because they still finished fourth. They were a goal away from getting a bronze medal. But some people maybe think with the squad that we have, you know, the likes of Sam Kerr, one of the best players in the world. I mean, you know, some think that we should be doing better than that. So I think it's really interesting to see how Gustafsson sets them up. They went with a bit of a 3-4-3 during the Olympics, and I think it was a bit divisive. As much as the Matilda scored a lot of goals, they also were perhaps a bit leaky at the back. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's going to stay with that or maybe they've been working on something else in training. Absolutely. And and Giacomo, I guess your take on this fixture. Uh, Brazil have have got a lot to offer in in Marta, uh, Dabina and Angelina. Um, Angelina, my apologies. Uh, What can we expect from them? It's two games, so... Uh, two opportunities to get a victory. Um, obviously, they're the most experienced Brazilians out there, better veterans on the side. And you expect them, they'd be, I guess, controlling the ship and making sure that all the structures are in place and just that the players are on top of the game. That's, I guess, that's just the basics of it. So, pretty much how to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think uh, it's a real statement game. Asian Cup is next year. 
um, which is obviously a massive opportunity for Gustafsson to prove himself. If, if he doesn't get the performances that he desires out of that tournament, um, do you think we have to sort of maybe put some some doubts or feelings of maybe he should be sacked? I mean, obviously a year out from a home World Cup. Or do you think we should just ride it out with, with Gustafsson and see how we go? I want to see us ride it out with it. I don't want to see the manager merry-go-round like we have been seeing, like with obviously Starsich and stuff like that. Just, he seems like they're getting the best out of him. Like, we, yes, they finished fourth, but they put in some good performances in the Olympics. He seems to be bringing some youngsters in as well into the side. So there is that as well. I just want to see, give him time. Let's see if the young kids that he's brought in will perform. And then obviously you've got Sam Kerr and the other likes of that, but we also the more experienced officer should get results as well. Um, Pat, obviously, a lot's been made of Mary Fowler. She obviously scored against um, Ireland. Uh, do you think she starts in this fixture on Saturday, or do you have to sort of go with your you know, trademark sort of lineup? Obviously, Hayley Rass was out with injury, so that's not that great. Briley Henry could make her first appearance for the Matildas. Uh, does, does Gustafsson play it safe and just go with this full-strength lineup, or does he have to try some some new things and sort of experiment a little bit? Well, I think the Ireland fixture was kind of the opportunity to experiment a bit. And I think we saw that was obviously a much younger team against Ireland. And I think the fact that there's two there's two fixtures on the Saturday and the Tuesday, I think it does offer the chance to perhaps do a bit of rotation. So he could maybe have that full strength lineup with the whole, the, the team full of experience. And then maybe in one, in one of the games, he can kind of experiment a bit and kind of give Debuts to potentially Jamila Rankin and Remy Seamson. They're in line to make their debuts. He could do that. He could bring in players, like you said, Mary Fowler. So he's got the opportunities are endless. You know, it's an international friendly. There's no qualification on the line or anything. That's kind of the beauty of it. You know, it's a chance to experiment. It's a chance to give some of these younger players experience, which is really important as some of our older players perhaps start to retire soon. It's important. These younger players really need the experience in the big games against big countries like Brazil. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think just going through that Brazilian lineup, we've obviously talked about them as well on kick360.com.au. Kieran Yap to do an article on the Brazilian side. Uh, Of course, we've got the likes of uh, Dabina, Angelina, Marta. Marta's a legend. It could be the last time we see her um, on Australian shores, which would be a very interesting clash. But uh, yeah, of course, uh, catch these these two games. First one, of course, uh, tomorrow at 7.50 Australian Eastern Standard Time and also on Tuesday as well. So, yeah, 22,000 at the Combank Stadium. That's a capacity. Uh, just, just, I think just a general chat. Like, How good is it to have um, home fans back on home soil, Giacomo? Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Like, that's a great stadium. We've seen when the Wanderers, when they pack it out, it's a really good atmosphere. 22,000, given what circumstances will happen in New South Wales, I don't think if you told anyone from New South Wales in a couple of months' time, you're going to have fans at the game. I don't think they'd believe you. So that's absolutely brilliant. 22,000, good atmosphere, great stadium. I can't wait for it. And Pat, uh, you'll be amongst it. Uh, y- your thoughts on it, of course. Uh, the midweek game you'll be attending, we, we, you, you'd expect to not be as attended as well, but still, uh, what a wonderful um, what a wonderful frame. Yeah, I agree. Like I, I was having a quick look on Ticket Tech, I think, this morning, just to kind of how the tickets were selling out. And obviously, look, the Saturday game is obviously going to sell out a bit more because it's the family time slot. But... It looks. I, I think on the Tuesday game, I, I still think you could expect maybe 13, 14, 15,000. So that's still, a, for a midweek game, that is fantastic. And I mean, like I, like Giacomo said, two months ago, if you told anyone in New South Wales we'd be having fans in the end of October, I would have said, 
you're laughing. So it's just, it's fantastic that we're in this situation now. It's absolutely brilliant. And I think uh, it's a really good opportunity for, for Australia to, to reposition themselves as a uh, force for sport as well. So um, first national team on home soil in a long time. Obviously, we've uh, utilized other uh, sporting codes coming on uh, sort of Australian soil with the with the cricket. But uh, yeah, to have a fellow football nation come to Australia is absolutely fantastic. But uh, what isn't that fantastic uh, has obviously been the reports within the media within the past couple of weeks. Uh, Lisa Devanna coming out with uh, allegations of abuse um, and it's really put the spotlight on cultures within Australian football as a whole. Uh, we'll preface this by stating that Lisa Devanna coming out is incredibly, incredibly brave, uh, as well as Riley Dobson and the likes of. Uh, football Australia have, of course, stated that there will be an independent inquiry with Sports Integrity Australia. And that was the best measure that they could have done, completely independent, in which there could be a full examination of the code of things of that ilk. Abuse is abuse. And in any forms, where it be football, in general life situations, it's absolutely not tolerated. Uh, and this situation has is highlighting how, as a society, we still have got a long way to go. Uh, although these allegations are 20 years old, they still stand very, very, very... Uh, sorry, they have a very significant importance in the makeup of football and everything in this country. And uh, we'd hope that these things can be resolved in the best way possible through Sports Integrity Australia. I'll pass it on to, to, to Patrick first. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a whirlwind two weeks. Uh, and Lisa Devanna has obviously come out, which is fantastic to, to see that she has the strength to do it. Uh, I guess just some, some thoughts on this whole situation. Yeah, of course. It's, it has been a difficult couple of weeks for Australian football in that regard. I mean, lot, lot, obviously lots of allegations coming around, very serious allegations that are hopefully treated with the utmost respect and courtesy from whoever is investigating it. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to reiterate that I agree. Lisa Devanna is incredibly, incredibly brave to speak up. It cannot be an easy thing to do. And look, we, yeah, I think it's, just, it's very important that an independent investigation occurs. And as much as it's disappointing to have this story come out I think it's good that it's coming it's good for Australian football that it has come out because we can move on we can like I said the independent investigation can hopefully come to the bottom of it solid and we can move on and all of those who have been affected can have some closure and can get help from this 100% and Giacomo some some thoughts on that as well um it's just the situation you just don't like to see like, I guess, not just in football, but you want to have some faith in humanity, but with people in in that in that sporting space are getting treated respectfully and just being able to perform and just do what they do and showcase their talent. And that hasn't been the case with Devanna. It's extremely brave what she's done, and I just hope she does get some justice out of this when the independent review does come out. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, and uh, we hope that the situation can be resolved in, in the coming months, and these allegations must be taken extremely seriously, and we hope that uh, Lisa and, and Riley are doing well during this time, and they're getting all the support that they need and that they deserve. Moving into some A-League news, of course, uh, the big news about two weeks ago, maybe three, uh, Daniel Sturridge has signed for the Perth Glory uh, on a, I believe, one-year deal. Uh Within an article published by the A-League yesterday, or the A-Leagues, 
Uh, it stated that, the, that they might call it the, the Daniel Sturridge rule, where the designated player um, rule in terms of where they moved, the Perth Glory moved one player to the designated player $300,000 to $600,000 per year slot. And then that made room for Sturridge to be on marquee wages. That's very confusing, but it makes sense in my head. Uh, in terms of the impact that this has on Australian football, today, obviously, there'll be an article from both uh, our resident Liverpool fans at Kick360 and Pat Braschetto and Tom Williams on, I guess, the effect that a former Liverpool player will have uh, on the A-Leagues. And, and moreover, a very good Liverpool player, <laughs> Liverpool player at that. He was playing consistently as recently as two years ago. So uh, it's a real testament to uh, Perth Glory's, uh, I guess, uh, maybe wooing tactics or just uh the resources that they have at the club was fantastic and uh of course you see brad jones and, and people like that but i guess pat from your perspective this will have a two-fold effect three-fold four-fold ten-fold effect on on the a-leagues moving forward uh, how big is this i think it's got the potential to be one of the biggest moves in the a-league men's history i mean like you said he's he's he was an integral part of a successful Liverpool squad. Obviously, everyone will know about his 2013-2014 season. Him and Luis Suarez, they nearly literally carried Liverpool to the league title. And obviously, there is a big if on his injury record. It's kind of why he hasn't perhaps hit the heights that we all thought he would. But if he can stay fit, I reckon if he can play 75 to 80% of the games, there is no doubt in my mind that he will get him in of 15 goals because he is just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant player. Like we even saw a couple of years ago, he had, they might've been small moments in Liverpool's Champions League run, but he scored that goal against PSG, scored a wonder goal against Chelsea. So he can still do it. And of course he's had a year or so out of playing football, but I think if he's got the right, a good fitness regime, if he can stay fit, he can take this league by storm. I've got no doubt about that. Absolutely. Yeah. And Giacomo, I guess your perspective on it, it's it's a massive coup for the A-Leagues and for the Perth Glory as a whole, who we thought didn't perhaps have the financial ability or backing to, to pull in a, a marquee signing. And it really occurred quickly, didn't it? It was within two days that uh, the, the report started emerging. And uh, well, lo and behold, uh, on the Friday, Sturridge was announced. Yeah, it was done quickly. And I love the ambition of this move. I love that they've gone for a big fish and landed it. I think this is just great for the league, but just how they've gone forward in transfers. When you go back to a couple of years back and the Mariners were linked to signing someone like Usain Bolt, and now we're getting proper footballers with proper footballing pedigree, there's always going to be the questions out on whether he can perform. Obviously, he's been out for the past two years because last year, at the start of last year, he was involved in that betting scandal with FIFA, sat four months out. But even after his suspension, no one picked him up. So this is the, the glory, they're taking a punt as well. There's going to be... That's why I'm not jumping or optimistic about it because he has been out and there's been, I guess, like, how can I best explain? There's been, like, stuff over his head. But it's a clean slate for him. He's in an area, he's outside of Europe, so he's away from everything now. Just a great opportunity just to re-kick his football career off. Yeah, absolutely. I think, obviously, he had that um, betting scandal uh, about two years ago, which was um, very disappointing for him. And, and I think he's really bounced back from that. And even... I think I was at the press conference two weeks ago and, and, and just the way he sort of approached it, like how calm he was and, and how eager he was to get to Australia was very important. And yeah, you'll see more coverage about Daniel Sturridge in the coming weeks as well as also his perspective on the rebranding of the A-Leagues as well, which was fantastic. And I really hope Football Australia, sorry, not Football Australia, I really hope that 
the APL are paying attention because they've really got something to, to market here. And uh, more so 10 football are, uh, are also leaning into that, you'd hope, in, in the coming weeks and months. But speaking of 10 football, uh, they released their first advertisement for the A-Leagues, uh, which was very good, I have to say. Uh, also with a sprinkling of um, some uh, Matildas and Socceroos in there. Uh, Pat, I think we'll just have some very brief thoughts on this. There isn't, isn't much to dissect here. It's only a, a minute and a half ad. Um, but if you can explain it within the length of the ad, uh, what your thoughts on it were, uh, go ahead. That's I'm not being serious, but just go ahead. <laughs> well, I think the fact that we have an A-League ad more than a week out from the season is big encouragement compared to the treatment from Fox Sports towards the end of their tenure. But no, it's a fantastic ad. It's got a catchy tune. I was... It was stuck in my head last night, much to the annoyance of my mum, so I kept on singing it. I couldn't get it out of my head. But no, it's a fantastic ad. The probably only small criticism is that, as people have been pointing out on Twitter, the Mariners fans don't feature at all. So that's a small error that will hopefully be rectified. But no, apart from that, it is a fantastic ad. It's great to see. Yeah, and I guess 10 football's acquisition of... uh... The FA Cup as well is, is fantastic as well, Giacomo, and it really bodes well for potential uh, Premier League rights acquisition. Obviously, the rights period is up next season. Yeah, it, like I spoke about with ambition before in Australian football, I love that 10 players have taken the A-League rights. I love that they've got the FA Cup. I think the only way you're ever going to get football in this country bigger is if it has exposure and you're marketing it out to people. And I guess Fox Sports has done a brilliant job with its coverage, but being on pay TV, it wasn't on as many eyeballs and as Australian football is going to be now. So I reckon it's a great direction Channel 10 have gone with. They've got, they're going to get the A-Leagues. They're going to get the FA Cup. And eventually, when the Premier League bids are coming in, hopefully they go in for that as well. Yeah, I mean, you'd hope that that, that could be rectified and, and resolved as soon as possible. Obviously, a lot of talk about that with Stan's coverage and things like that ilk, but... Uh, things will be, you know, changed very soon, and I'm sure we will reach a resolution um, in due time. Uh, moving into other signings across the A leagues, uh, we'll go with uh, first of all Alexander Prijevic, who has signed uh, for the massive club in the form of Western United. Uh, it's it's a really interesting acquisition because he's got some pedigree, doesn't he, Patrick? Yeah, well, he's got 13 caps for Serbia, and they were. Fairly recently, from between 2017 and 2019, he's played in Europe and Asia. He's played, I think, in Greece, in Denmark. I think he's also had some time in, I think he was most recently in Saudi Arabia. So, and it's good to have some experience up that front line because they've got players like Noah Bottich, Dylan Wenzel Halls. It's a very youthful front line. So, it's kind of good to have an experienced head to maybe guide them a bit to lead them to kind of help their development. So, I think it's a very interesting signing. Absolutely. I, I guess Pat will stay on you uh, for. Kijiro Ogawa, who's London loan. Same club as King Kazu as well. King Kazu, uh, Kazuyoshi Miura, I think that's his name. Um, so that's interesting. He's obviously uh, in, in the same club as a, as a legend of the game. But uh, yeah, Ogawa is a big, big signing. And also uh, Thomas Mayhas, which we'll, uh, we will discuss later. Yeah, I think, well, I'll start on Ogawa. I think that is this has the potential to be one of the most underrated, but useful signings for the Wanderers because they really needed some depth out wide and it seems like he's got a really good pedigree he's had over 200 games in the J League about 50 goals I believe and I think he's, he can play all across the front line he can play in both wing spots he's also played at the number 10 that's exactly what the Wanderers need I, I see him 
playing opposite Dimi Petrados. So I think him and Petrados could be absolutely brilliant and hopefully give some really good service to Tom Hamed up front. Uh, Mejas, I think that's, that that was a bit of an interesting signing. I think it it's going to be very interesting to see whether he's going to start ahead of Daniel Margush or whether he's kind of been brought in as an experienced backup, maybe to put a bit of pressure on him, but also to kind of actually teach Margush and teach him some tricks he's learned. Obviously, he's, he's from the Real Madrid Academy. He's played at Middlesbrough as well. So he has, he's got some quality, but it is, I think a lot of Wondrous fans on Twitter were a bit worried that he's taking game time away from Daniel Margush, who had a really good breakout season for the Wonders last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how Robinson deals with this. It's going to be a bit of a delicate situation, obviously kind of not, you know, not shattering Margush's confidence. Like, you know, it's going to be interesting. Look, regardless whether he plays or he doesn't play, I hope that he has some sort of role, whether it be on or off the pitch. 100%. It really brings into, into, the, into the frame the question of, should foreigners take up goalkeeping spots? I think they're across some various other leagues in the world. They're trying to sort of push away from having foreigners take up goalkeeping spots. We know how, how good our goalkeeping development is in Australia uh, with the likes of Federici currently in our leagues, uh, as well as uh, obviously Mark Schwartz and Matt Ryan, who's the number one for Socceroos. Uh, is, is this discouraging from your perspective? Does, does, should Mayhas really take up? Uh, a young player spot? Um, I'm completely in disagreement with the goalkeeping situation. I feel like if there's a goalkeeper to bring in and they're a foreign player and they're going to be better for your team in the long run or even just for that season, then bring him in. I don't see the harm in it. I've, the victory did it this year, bringing in Ivan Culliver. Um, The Wanderers obviously did it a couple of years ago with um, Daniel Lopar. So I feel like if you've got the quality players there to play them, then just play them. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting perspective. I think it's sort of to how, how we how do we weigh up development against um, sort of you know opportunities for for you know success within the leagues. I think will the Wanderers be better better off without Mayhas, or do they need to perhaps bring in another player? Obviously, they're, they're obviously in talks with another foreigner, which we'll talk about um, in 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 a few moments. But it's uh, really important, I think, for clubs in the A-Leagues to recognize that it's a very difficult task to weigh our performance against um, expectations, especially within the realms of goalkeeping, which is such a very delicate situation, obviously. But I, I do see Margush uh, taking a number one spot at the end of the season, to be honest. I think he'll slowly but surely overtake uh, Mayhas. No disrespect against Mayhas. I think he's a good goalkeeper from all accounts. But uh, considering you know you're playing in a second division of Turkey, which by all accounts is not the strongest league in the world, uh, we we should see Margus hopefully break out and, and do some fantastic things. Moving on, uh, Jack Rodwell, uh, which uh, is a name I'm sure you haven't heard for a long time. If you are viewers or have watched Sunderland Till I Die, you'd be very familiar with Jack Rodwell. Or if you've been a follower of the English Premier League for a long time, you should be familiar with him as well, uh, formerly of Everton and Manchester City. Again, I'll go to Pat for this one. It's been reported... Uh, a couple days ago that he has chosen Western Sydney over MacArthur. Reports in Fairfax, of course, stating that too. Uh, what do you think about that? Is that the way that Wanderers should go? Is that is that a, is that a risky signing or modest deal? What, what's your perspective? Well, look, I think it, I'm in no doubt that the Wanderers are in need of depth in the midfield because, as uh, in my opinion, the Wanderers only have three real proper midfielders at the moment in Antonis, Yugarkovic and... 
Keanu backers. So if there is to be one or two injuries or suspensions, the Wonders are in big trouble there. So they they need a centre midfielder like that. And not only that, they need kind of a bit more either a strong kind of defensive midfielder anchor kind of player or they or they need kind of a box-to-box rangy kind of player. And I think Rodwell can definitely be that kind of anchor player. So it makes sense, but I do understand people might have reservations. Of course, he wasn't portrayed in the best of light in that in the Sunderland Till I Die. His career, obviously, was he had a very promising career. He signed for Man City. Obviously, it hasn't really panned out for a variety of reasons. It... What I what I have read this morning, I can't remember. I'll be honest, I can't remember exactly where I read it, but apparently they're fitting him in under the salary cap, so it's not like he's a designated player or anything. So if they can fit him under the cap, I don't think it's a bad signing, at least on paper. Obviously, we have to see how he plays, and we've got to see maybe if he. It depends on his attitude as well. Like maybe if he's benched, he's hopefully he'll. Hopefully he won't kind of chuck a hissy fit if he's on the bench. So look, it's not. Awful. I saw some Wanderers fans kind of losing it a bit on Twitter. I think we just got to kind of wait and see, see how it goes. We need the depth. Let's just not throw our toys out of the pram yet. I guess Gio Cuomo, uh, avid, watch, avid watcher of the Premier League in the past, uh, you have been. Uh, your thoughts on this? So it's a very delicate situation. He's obviously moving to Sydney. So I guess I suppose he should sign with an A-League club, shouldn't he? Yeah, well... Listen, his agent's done it again. He's found him another club. Obviously, he was out of work and then ended up at Sheffield United under Chris Wilder, and he's found another gig. And good on him. Listen, he's got natural raw talent. I think he's played in the Premier League before. I believe when he first started at Everton, he was 17, 18. He's got talent. He's got skill. I'm pretty sure he'll be fine in the A-League. Like, I feel like he'll be capable and up to the task. Yeah, I think you look at in terms of A-League men's signs, the Wanderers are really shaping up to be one of the best sides this season, especially if they can actually sign, um, uh, obviously, you know, someone like Jack Rodwell, which I wouldn't say he'd have the impact of a Sturridge, but it's a little big name in the realms of everything. He's got England caps. You know, the guy is not that bad of a footballer. He's, he's very strong in terms of uh, his midfield qualities, but it just depends if he can get fit and, and things like that. So... Um, I guess that's another thing to discuss. But uh, we'll just briefly go through a couple of other signings. So Luca Purusho, uh, who was on loan at the, at the Jets last season, has uh, signed a deal with uh, Wellington on a one-year deal. Uh, also, James Doyle has signed with Western United. He's of the Eastern Lions in the NPL, which is fantastic. Uh, and, of course, uh, Marco Tilio signing a contract extension. Emmanuel Pucciarelli arriving in Melbourne alongside Roderick Miranda. And Francesco Margiotta has joined the Melbourne Victory on a one-year deal as well. Uh, Giacomo, I think we'll just discuss that briefly. Margiotta fills Victory's number nine spot and also the last foreign signing of uh, Popovich's first season at the helm. Uh, is there anything wrong with this or just a, a very good signing? Uh, very good signing. So basically, we lacked firepower last year. If you look at it, the top three scorers of the Victory last year were Alvis Kemsoba, Rudy Justed, and Jake Brimmer, all with five. So Cancelo was left in the offseason, Justez left in the offseason, which left us with Brimmer, who's played central midfield, left us with Falami, who was decent for the most part, but really struggled to find a net in the early year. And then obviously Diagostino, who's also come over from Perth Glory. So we're lacking firepower. I feel like he's an experienced player. He's done well in Europe in the lower legs of Italy. So I'm happy to have him over there and just just find a net, please, man. We need it. <laughs> just find a net. 
percent, and uh, also Anton Milnarich, who was uh, formerly I think it's Dinamo Zagreb, uh, has also uh, gone on loan to Sydney FC. Sorry, gone on loan to Brisbane from Sydney FC. Uh, Roro Donovan uh, has signed with Sydney Olympic for the upcoming MPL season um, and beyond uh, for the FFA Cup as well. And uh, I think we'll discuss this as well, that the Channel 10 commentary team has been announced for the A-League men and A-League women. Uh, Simon Hill, Andy Harper, Tara Rushton, who's returned to football. Um, I guess she didn't really leave football, but she's back in football anyway. Uh, Neve Owens, uh, Scott McKinnon, Mark Milligan, Bruce Jitte, uh, Luke Wilkshire, uh, Georgia Yeomandale, Amy Chapman, Archie Thompson, and Alex Brosk. Of course, the key ins being uh, Neve Owens, Tara Rushton, uh, and also Archie Thompson. We know, we know that he can cook, but uh, can he do a, a very good presenting job once again, Pat? Oh, look, I mean, obviously some people, he's not some people's cup of tea, but I kind of, I think it's good to have maybe one or two people in the coverage of maybe a bit of a lighter presence, someone doesn't take themselves too seriously. I, look, like I said, he, he can be a bit much sometimes a bit different, but I, I think it's good. You can, I, Having the same kind of very serious chat can sometimes maybe be a bit, too much. Having a bit of a lighter presence, I don't think there's too much of a problem with that. Yeah, and I guess, uh, Gia Como, your thoughts on this uh, lineup for Channel 10? It's uh, very, very uh, familiar, but uh, we understand that there'll be more announcements coming soon, uh, obviously, with uh, you'd expect the, the commentators for the various states and, and sideline reporters and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's got a very Fox Sports feel to it, but, uh, you know, why not? It does have a very Fox Sports feel about it, but I like it. I think they've got the most experienced ones there. It's good to get Harper. It, how good is it to have Simon Hill back commentating? I think we missed hearing him coming through the television. Tara Russian is a great presenter as well. Obviously, Archie Thompson. So, yes, they've been on Fox Sports before, but you know what they can do. You know what they're going to bring to a broadcast. So, I'm more than happy for those acquisitions that have taken place. Absolutely. And that's, uh, in essence, the, the final acquisition that we've had of, of alongside, obviously, George Ott and Curtis Mogg signing one-year scholarship contracts with the Wellington Phoenix. But uh, also, last night, a cheeky spot by uh, well, Tom Williams, and then I obviously tweeted it out, did a subsequent article on it. Socceroos are set to take on Saudi Arabia at home. Uh, and I think that also brings into discussion the Socceroos' loss against Japan last week, which we, which we should discuss as well. Uh but I think uh, just uh, obviously it's been it's been a week and a half since that fixture. Uh, Giacomo, I'll start with you. That game management wasn't brilliant in terms of starting Moy, who's clearly underdone, and also Rogic in a in a, in a midfield four with Aiden Hrustic and Jackson Irvine. But a result could have been grinded out. But you'd have to say the loss was was probably deserved. Yeah. Um. Listen. Australia had more possession, but Japan were far more clinical with the ball. I felt like every time Japan were going forward, it looked like it was going in the net. The defense was under pressure at times. Obviously, you saw Bayhich at times. He looked like he got found out a bit in the back line. So, what was I was going to say, I just felt like, yeah, it wasn't good tactically from us. I just don't feel like whatever we threw at him, Japan always had an answer. And I feel like Matt Ryan saved us a lot because he was made some crucial saves and it could have been more than 2-1. So we're probably lucky in the sense to get away for 2-1 defeat. Yeah, and Pat, I guess your, your take on that fixture, Arnold has obviously got a big task ahead of him with the Saudi game on home soil, hopefully. But uh, looking back upon that Japan fixture, what, I think what was a key difference? Uh, you, you are the tactics man here. So uh, 
<laughs> I mean, I think I think compared to Jack George or Tom Williams, I am nowhere near their level. And just on Jack George, I mean, he wrote a brilliant tactical review on this game on the website. I'd recommend everyone to read that because I think it really describes well why what Japan did, the way they press, and why it just made the Socceroos. Who we are not, it's not a bad Socceroos side. It, that's why it made us look. So average, the way that they pressed, they exploited. Uh, this is from Jack's article, by the way. This isn't me coming up with it. I should credit Jack's article. But he pointed out how Japan exploited the lack of a left-footed centre-back. So they deliberately pressed Harry Suta and forced him to play passes. That just, it meant that there were rushed passes. Australia couldn't do really good build-up play. And it meant we lost the ball in dangerous positions and then we got killed on the counter-attack. And I think one other thing this game really exposed is that as much as there's a lot of quality in that midfield, playing Moy, Rogic and Hrustic, you can't it's just not sustainable. You can't do it in those big games. I think we really need a player, like I just said before, a bit like the Wanderers. The Socceroos need a, need either a proper anchor DM that will just sit in front of the back four, or they need someone a bit like Ngolo Kante who will just run everywhere and mop up all of the loose stuff. And at the moment we don't have that player. I don't know who that player could be. Some people talked about maybe Cammy Devlin. I don't know if he's ready, but I think, yeah, this Japan game showed that we've got to find a way to make that midfield work. And again, in the big games, a Rogic Moy midfield, it's not mobile enough. It's not quick enough, in my opinion. No, absolutely not. And I think that, you know, Cammy Devlin would be good enough, but I think it's, it's, it's only, you only have a really small sample size in terms of what he's done. I think there's obviously a lot of discussion about um, the players that soccer that the Graham Arnold should utilize against uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, but you'd hope to th- you'd like to think that the Socceroos are able to get a result. Uh, obviously, on home soil, things should really go our way. But I think it, it really says the volumes that Graham Arnold is starting Aaron Moy in a crucial game in which, realistically speaking. He was very underdone. He hasn't played consistent football. And I think we had a chat the other day, I think it was between myself, Pat, and, and Tom, that, you know, if if Curtis Good is available, do you pick Curtis Good or do you pick Ryan McGowan or or um, Bailey Wright? Probably pick McGowan and Bailey Wright, to be perfectly honest, because by the time that we reach the second phase, Melbourne City will be taking on South Melbourne the day after the Saudi Arabia game which is a bit disappointing in, in that, you know, we can't have our A-League players play these crucial matches um, in previous weeks. So of course, I, I think that Melbourne City would release McLaren, Lecky and um, and Good if, if they are picked for the Saudi game and leaving a pretty weak inside against South Melbourne, which is another sort of discussion in itself. But questions need to be made and questions need to be asked of, of Arnold's selection. I think that he's had a really good tournament management, but... Starting a four-two-two-two when you didn't really need to change anything was a little bit disappointing, Giacomo. Yeah, well, I was in the press conference leading up to the game, and with the Moy selection, he was adamant that Moy was ready to go. Like he was asked, "What, what would we see Moy start?" He was saying, "We've had people train over with him in Edinburgh. When Moy's staying, we've got him fit. He's going to be ready to go." And ultimately, he wasn't. So I guess it's sort of a live by the sword, die by the sword. He came in, he wanted him there, it didn't work out. I don't think he'll do it again in saying that. Yeah, I'd say I agree with you. And I guess, sort of, Pat, how do you line up against a, a Saudi Arabia? Do you 
obviously line up with Aiden Fritschitz, who, by the way, is a phenomenal, phenomenal player within his own right and got that free kick goal, which I think hasn't been spoken about a lot within circles. It would have been looked upon much greater if we got a result or even got the draw in the end. How how crucial is it that the Arnold gets his selection right against a, a very strong side in Saudi and also China as well? Well, look, I think, as I said before, I think a lot of the the... the the game against Japan, I think a lot of it was more down to how well Japan played and how well they executed their tactics. So I'd kind of give a, I'd give Arnold a little bit of a pass in that one. The fact is, even though we didn't play well, we were, what, 10 minutes away, five minutes away from getting a point. However, he, he probably, if we play like that against Saudi Arabia, if we get a bad draw or we don't play very well or a loss, then questions will definitely be asked, especially if it's in front of a capacity crowd at... Combank Stadium, of course, questions going to have to be asked. I mean, like, like I said before, I think the midfield, I don't think that if, I mean, obviously, look, Bayich had a bit of a disappointing game and Ryan Grant against Oman in the previous game, he, they probably were found out a bit defensively, but I think this, I don't think, you don't change the centre-back pairing. I don't think they've been that bad. The problem is in midfield, they've got no protection at all against the counter-attack. And in every game so far in the qualifying, we've seen that. So as I, I know, I'm, I'm, repeating myself a lot here, but it's the midfield has got to be fixed. And if that means you don't, I mean, you talk about, obviously, you know, Arnold was adamant about starting Moy, and I think you could start Moy if you have someone mobile next to him, but there wasn't really, like, Rogic is not a mobile player. Hrustic isn't mobile in that regard. So I think it wasn't so much of a bad move starting Moy. The problem was you're not putting people near him to make, to bring out the best in Moy and bring out the best in the soccer structure. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think Arnold was unfortunate that he got put in a predicament in which he felt he needed to change things up. And I don't blame him, to be honest. As you say, if, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We won 11 games in a row, which was fantastic, and it was bound to end at some point. Uh, to go out against Japan, by the way, and take them for 90 minutes, and in which we actually held most of the possession, uh, was a fantastic effort. And I just think, you know, if Aaron Moy's playing consistent football, if you can get McLaren back, if you can get Leckie back starting, It'd be key, and also our mobiles also had a fantastic qualifying campaign, and be keen to see him sort of kill it in the coming weeks as well. So, um, lots of things to look forward to ahead of that game on the 11th of November in about three weeks. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a really intriguing, intriguing couple of weeks. Of course, we'll just uh, cast your minds back to key360.com.au. Uh, many articles coming out this week, and also heading into the A League season. Uh, of course, we've got articles. On the likes of John Aloisi preparing West United's uh, third season uh, with a new squad, new looking squad. Also, Rene Crin, Jamie Young, Nikolai Topol Stanley, Noah Bodic, uh, Dylan Wenzel Halls, a lot of those players coming in as well. Uh, also, uh, as we mentioned before, the Daniel Sturridge effect on Liverpool. How will he transform this side into a, into a dominant force within Australian football? Uh, the Brisbane Roar. Sorry, <laughs> the Perth Glory. Oh boy, that was a big slip up. Uh, we've also got Marco Rojas, an exclusive interview with Marco Rojas on his European journey and how he'll be able to mentor the young players on victory moving forward. And of course, uh, also, you can't forget the highlights and hurdles of independent women's football clubs, part two, uh, this time featuring Call the United, who are in partnership with Western United and Geelong Galaxy. And lastly, breakthrough stars for the A-League 2020-21, Mount Victory got Gianluca Iannucci, who will be hopefully integrating himself into Tony Popovich's starting 11 this season. Uh, that's all from me, Neil Simons. But 
obviously we need some final comments from you two. We'll start with uh, we'll start with Giacomo. Um, thanks for having me on. First and foremost, love being with you boys. Um, can't wait for the new season of the A League to come in the next couple of weeks. Absolutely, and I think we've all had slip ups today. We've all said A League, A Leagues, A League men, A League women, but eventually, within due time, it we'll get there. Up. We'll get there. In fact, we actually need to say Isuzu Ute A League. It's a bit confusing because they're calling it A League men, but you're calling it Isuzu. Yeah, I don't understand. It's it's <laughs> something that I don't think they thought out too fantastically. But all credit where credit is due to the APL for, of course, getting a naming rights sponsor on board. And uh, Pat, uh, your final words? Um, not so much. Just that, yeah. Obviously, hopefully the Matildas can get a couple of wins and good performances, and yeah. Can't wait, and the Socceroos are coming up. It's all it's all leading up to what I hope is a very, very exciting season for Australian football. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. More KickCast podcast episodes coming out very soon. We'll be more consistent uh, as we head towards the seasons. Of course, kicking off on November the 19th. Can you believe it? It's less than a month away. Uh, of course, those two big derbies being the Battle of the Bridge and the Sydney Derby all occurring uh and at that time, and also the coverage will keep on coming at Kit360. You bet, believe we are going to keep pumping out those that content for all of your wonderful eyes to read and listen as well. I've been Neil Simons, and this has been the Kitcast Podcast.